0: Episode 120 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on January 7th, 2023. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week on the show, I talk about Galactic Seasons 3. It's close to the end. I'll tell you about things I liked, things I didn't, and whether or not you have enough time to get everything done. Also this week, I'll take a look at companion influence and gift giving and see if there are areas of opportunity for Bioware to make it better. And finally this week, I take a behind-the-scenes look at how the companion system was originally designed, and problems that it caused. And with that, it's time to make the jump to lightspeed. And cue the moron. Welcome to episode 120 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. Happy New Year, everyone! 2023 has arrived. It's hard to believe that the 21st century is almost a quarter of the way done. Now, last week I talked a little bit about getting into PvP Seasons 1. Well, today I want to talk about Galactic Seasons. And I have to say, if there's a bright center to the SWOTOR universe, Galactic Seasons has to be pretty darn close to it. Seasons 3 is in full swing and has about eight weeks left to it. By my calculations, the last day of the season is March 6th. I got a late start myself, but I shouldn't have any problem getting everything done. In fact, I just reached level 100 on the rewards track this week. <laughs> But as you probably know, my season is far from over. Starting with Galactic Seasons 2, Bioware added a reputation track to the season. You can still complete the reputation once the season is over, but there is incentive to reach Legend status before the season runs out. There is a meta achievement that rewards an additional companion customization, and to get this, you must reach Reward Level 100, You must reach Legend Ranked with the Reputation before the season ends. And you must also complete 100 weekly objectives. So do the math here. When it comes to the Reputation, you can earn 5,000 points per week. If you use a Reputation Boost, and you should use a Reputation Boost, and have Guild Perks, you can exceed that cap. To complete the Reputation, you need to earn a total of 70,000 points. There are 8 weeks remaining in the season, starting with the reset on January 10th. If you only earn 5,000 points per week, that means there are 40,000 points left to be earned. If you have 30,000 points or higher going into this next reset, you can reach the end. Now, if you are using your reputation boost and have guild perks, your point total can be as low as 24,000 going into the reset. For example, I have a guild perk and I use a boost, so when I burn a rep token, and I'm talking about the purple ones here, I earn 1,150 points per token. What that means is instead of 5,000 points per week, I'm earning 5,750 points per week. That's because when it comes to reputation, BioWare is actually nice, and if using a reputation token will put you over the weekly cap, you get all of the points. As far as objectives go, you can complete 7 objectives per week, which means you need a minimum of 15 weeks to complete 100 of them. With 8 weeks remaining in the season, you can complete 56 more weekly objectives. If you have completed 44 or more objectives going into this next week, you can get to 100 before the season ends. Anything less than that, and it's just not possible. I'm in good shape, but I'm afraid I'll be running season objectives and working on the reputation deep into February. I will say this, the changes made to objectives from season one, I think they're really good. I like the focus on weekly objectives and not daily objectives. I think that having the agency to complete them all on Tuesday or spread them out through the course of the week and the ability to complete them on a variety of characters is fantastic. The objectives themselves are fine in the sense that they all work well together. There is some variety, some are short, some are long, and they rotate each week. All of that is good, but it's also a lot of the same old, same old. Flashpoints, world bosses, heroics, daily areas. I just wish there were more unique objectives related to the season itself. It would be nice to feel like I was doing something new, and different while earning these rewards. As to the rewards themselves, well, that's a beauty in the eye of the beholder kind of thing. I like the companions, I like that you can get them to influence level 50 through the rewards track, and that there are easy options for alt to also get these companions to influence level 50. Fenzale is my favorite of the season's companions, where I thought Altour and Phalanx were okay. I actually do like Phalanx's personality, even though she doesn't speak basic, but she's not Scorpio and she's not a Gemini droid. I like the armor sets from Galactic Seasons 3 more than I did the other Seasons. I'm actually using it on a smuggler right now. And I really like the vehicle mounts from Seasons 2, especially the TriumbrA. I use that one a lot. There are also a bunch of items that are simply collecting space dust in my cargo hold. Overall, though, I think it's a good set of rewards, and I would expect to see the same thing in Galactic Seasons 4, which, by the way, we know nothing about, and I'm guessing it will probably start in May or June of this year. I like Galactic Seasons. I look forward to completing it, I look forward to having a little break from it, and I look forward to starting the next one. Galactic Seasons 3 has about eight weeks left, still time to get things done, but it's definitely running out. Well, coming up, I'll talk about companion influence in gift-giving and what I think could be done to improve it. But first, it's January, a new month, a new year, and a new set of events for the Old Republic. Life Day is still going on, but will end on January 10th, the 11 year anniversary will continue until the next update, whenever that might be. But be sure to stop by the anniversary vendor and get your decos and anything else you might need. The Rackle Resurgence on Corellia will start on January 10th and end on January 17th. Remember, if you want to recruit Dr. Loken as a companion, this is the time to do it. And then the Relics of the Greed will return on January 24th and run through January. 31st. That, of course, takes place on Ilum, planet I like to visit during these winter months. As a reminder, SWTOR is moving to 64-bit. It's available to test right now on the PTS, and folks have been doing just that. Jackie Co. reported on where things stand right now, and she took to the forums and she wrote, I hope you all had a lovely holiday season. We wanted to let you know that we will be deploying a new PTS build shortly. We received reports of players crashing when trying out the 64-bit build. If you are one of these players, we would like you to play the game on the PTS once more. We are currently pinpointing what is causing the crashing issue, so it is possible that you may crash again during this iteration. However, the reports that you send in will provide us with additional details on your experience. Please follow the steps written out here to submit reports if your game does crash. And just to reiterate, The goal right now is to make sure that the current game runs on 64-bit. There are no new 64-bit features. So that's all of the events and things happening in the month of January in the Old Republic. The big reward from each galactic season is a new companion, which is great because companions are awesome and we love them. There are over 90 permanent companions in the game, and I'm not saying you're going to have every one of them on every character. After all, they come from a variety of sources, from story to the cartel market, reputation, and even rare drops. But even if you were to have half of the companions available on each of your characters, it's a lot. And if you want to run around with a variety of companions and get the most out of them, then you want to get their influence level up to 50. Of course, this is usually done by giving them gifts. Lots and lots of gifts. Because there is nothing more enjoyable than spending hours handing your companions a stack of gifts as they say things like, I will treasure this forever. I will treasure this forever. I will treasure this forever. Over and over again. And if you think that's bad, it gets way worse if your companion doesn't speak basic And yes, I do mute the sound when handing out stacks of gifts. To add insult to injury, you can empty an entire cargo hold full of gifts, give them to your companion, and gain like two levels of influence. It's time consuming, it's inventory consuming, and it's just plain awful. A big part of the problem is that there are way too many gifts in this game. Gifts come in ranks from one all the way up to six. Gifts come in different qualities, green, blue, purple, and gold. And then, each companion has gifts that they absolutely love, some that they kind of like, and some that they absolutely hate. More often than not, raising the influence of your companions involves braving the internet to find out which is their absolute favorite gift in the entire galaxy so that you can maximize the amount of influence that they gain by giving them gifts But even with that, their level of influence and the rank and quality of the gift all factor into how much influence they might gain. And that's where it gets complicated. For example, a rank 2 purple quality gift will probably yield more influence than, say, a rank 3 green or even blue quality gift. And then once companions reach higher influence levels, those rank 1, 2, and 3 gifts aren't worth handing out because the amount of influence they grant is minimal. So you're better off hanging on to those gifts and giving them to other companions that are maybe at a lower end of the influence scale. That's, of course, assuming you even want to bother using these lower-ranked gifts. Every companion requires 250,000 influence points to get from 1 to 50. And with each influence level, the number of points needed to get to the next level increases. So by the time you're at influence level 49 you'll need about 10,000 points to get to 50. So you can see how giving gifts that yield 100, 200, even 500 points doesn't feel very satisfying the higher you get. Now, ever since this system was introduced with Knights of the Fallen Empire, players have figured out the most efficient and inexpensive ways to get a companion from 1 to 50. So let's talk about that. One way to do this is to purchase a Commander's Compendium, which instantly raises the influence of any companion to level 50. The problem with it is it's expensive. It costs over 4 million credits, which isn't too bad by today's standards, but it also requires three Dark Project MK1s. Last time I checked the GTN on Shan, those were going for 20 million apiece. Even if you craft them yourself, seems like you'd be better off just selling them. And that's because you can also buy rank 5 purple quality gifts for 10,000 credits each from a vendor on the fleet. Assuming that you have legacy perks in place and are buying your companion's absolute favorite gift type, you would need to purchase 481 of these, cost of 4.8 million credits, to get a companion from 1 to 50. Now, there are other ways to get there that might be a little bit cheaper but are much more complicated it involves using a mix of lower quality gifts and figuring out cutoff points for using them. It's a lot of bother. The bottom line is, I think the influence and in gift-giving system is broken and in need of fixing. Which brings me back to the Galactic Seasons companions and how we raise their influence. These companions have three gifts that you can give them. They don't have ranks, just quality. And what's great is they grant a static amount of influence regardless of the current influence level of the Companion. And the amount of influence they grant is massive. There are blue quality gifts that grant 10,000 influence. There are purple quality gifts that grant 15,000 influence. And there are gold quality gifts that grant 20,000 influence. All of these can be purchased from the Galactic Seasons vendor for credit. So, let's say you pull out Fenzale from your collection from one of your characters. To raise his influence, you would need to purchase 12 gold-quality gifts and one blue-quality gift for a total cost of 5,650,000 credits. That's not very expensive, and you only have to hand out 13 gifts versus 481 for every other companion. So, over 90 companions in the game... 10, 20, 50 characters per server, each with 50 or more companions? You can see where I'm headed here, so let's go there. Bioware needs to modify the companion gift system to match what they've done for the Galactic Seasons companions. I like having the different gift types, like Underworld Trading, Cultural Artifacts, Technology, etc. But let's change it so that a companion will accept only one of these gift types, maybe two, and let's make that information available to players in the game. Let's get rid of all the different ranks and just have three qualities of gifts. Blue, purple, and gold that grant a static amount of influence. And I like the 10, 15, 20,000 point breakdown. Now, these gifts don't have to be so easy to obtain that we can just buy them from a vendor. They can still come from crew skill missions, NPC drops, the containers that we turn into log logon rewards, whatever. And as far as the commander's compendium goes, I would remove the dark project requirement and just raise the price a bit. Even 10 million credits is probably a good deal. And if you want to add another cost to it, then do tech fragments or conquest accommodations, but not the dark projects. All of this would go a long way toward promoting variety and might even encourage players to grab as many companions as they can on all of their characters. As it stands now, I'm likely just to grab... The Three Galactic Seasons Companions and get them to 50 on each character because it's easy. And after that, I'm likely to just buy those purple gifts and listen to them say things like, I will treasure this forever. 481 times because I ain't buying that compendium. mentioned that there are over 90 companions in the game and that most are available to every character. But that wasn't always the case. And not only that, there was a period of time in the game where it wasn't even a possibility. There's a site out there called Ask a Game Dev, and someone posted a question, and the example used in the response was about Star Wars The Old Republic. Now, before I dive into all of this, I want to say that I have no idea who runs this site I don't know if they've ever worked for EA or BioWare and if they've ever worked on Star Wars The Old Republic. I have not substantiated any of this information and I found out about it via Twitter from Shintar from Going Commando. But here's the question that was posed on the Ask a Game Dev site. You talked about how making a system with an edge case slash additional functionality, namely the boss's elite units acting as a unit with cover fire slash focused targeting... Can you explain why it is harder slash more time-consuming to add unanticipated functionality in later? And here is the dev response. I'll use a different example to answer your question today. There's a well-known long-running RPG called Star Wars The Old Republic that was famous for its companion characters as a major game feature. The way the companion system was built for launch was designed around every class having an equal number of companions within the data. Companions at launch were mapped by class. Every player had six different companions, each with a set role. Melee tank, ranged tank, melee DPS, ranged DPS, healer, ship droid, in a specific numbered slot. And all of the code systems that had anything to do with companions The code wouldn't ask for a specific companion by ID number, but rather the player's class and companion slot number. The system was built such that companion lookup could not be sparse. That is, you couldn't have empty companion slots for any class. Or systems like companion affection, equipment, companion stats, and stat scaling, many parts of combat, companion UI, certain cinematics, etc., would fail in a cascade. Every class had to have the same number of companions or all kinds of game systems would break. This also meant that there wasn't just two different faction ship droids. There were eight, a different one for each class. It was when the game designers added the first and second additional companions to the original roster that they ran into the wall. They couldn't add just one companion. They had to add eight companions, a different version of the new companion for each class. The costs were so great that the leadership deemed it too expensive to build new companions after the first two, HK-51 and Treek. It also meant that there was no way they could reuse existing companions for other classes. The Sith Warrior couldn't ever recruit a companion character that was designed for the Imperial Agent because it wouldn't be the same companion. It'd have to be a separate instance of that old companion data. New companion characters were one of the most highly requested and popular features among players, but actually adding them to the game was a nightmare in terms of the amount of work that needed to be done and complexity of data, since design quailed at the thought of having to keep track of up to eight different versions of every new companion added to the game. This problem was a continuous thorn in the side of leadership too. Because they knew this could open up massive new opportunities. Faction reward companions, microtransaction companions, temporary companions that could actually die as part of the story, different versions of companions, etc. But could not feasibly do anything about it due to the development cost of having to rebuild the entire system. Eventually, circumstances granted the Swotor team additional headcount for a year, and the leadership wisely tasked a strike team of engineers and designers for nearly the entire expansion cycle to rebuild the companion system from the ground up in order to decouple the player classes from their static companion slots. For the first time, designers could set a list of player classes that the companion could be recruited by without needing to create a duplicate of that companion's data for each class. All classes could share the same companion's data, which meant that classes could recruit each other's companions and that new companions were much, much easier to add to the game. Design would no longer need to create eight different versions of the same companion anymore. Again, I can't corroborate any of this, but it certainly sounds plausible to me, and I certainly wouldn't view this as a black eye on the Swotor team. The person giving the response went on to write, These game systems do not exist in a vacuum. There are often shockwaves that affect other secondary systems, which can set off their own shockwaves to affect tertiary systems, and so on. It isn't always as huge an issue as SWOTOR's companion system, but it is a really good example of bad assumptions made during initial development, haunting the team for years after launch. I guess in this case, the assumptions being there would never be more companions. I work in software development, and while SWOTOR is more than a piece of software, I understand how this can happen. Companions are just one part of a larger system. The work has deadlines, the people doing the work likely have to build more than one system. These systems are integrated, and we don't know where the Companion system fit into all of this. Was it the first thing they worked on, or was there another system that ties into it that was built first? Were there changes to that system's design that affected what could be done with Companions? Maybe they wanted to do something different, but there wasn't another choice. Maybe there wasn't enough time. Software development is an iterative process, and if you have all the time in the world, you can build that perfect system. But as we all know, time, money, and people are big constraints, and you do have to put your pencils down and get things out the door. And that, as much as anything, can impact how you do the work. Last thing before I head out today, speaking of systems that were maybe redesigned, I just want to say how much I'm enjoying the map changes introduced in 7.2. I love the map overlay that doesn't take up a lot of screen real estate, and you can have it up while moving around. And I love the fog of war changes. In fact, if you truly want to appreciate these changes, head to Bell Savis with a character that hasn't been there before. These map changes are a real time saver. And speaking of saving time, that's the State of the Old Republic for today. Let me cut on the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 120 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on Buzzsprout and iTunes and wherever else you find your podcasts. You can also listen to the show directly from the show's site, which is SotorPodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at sotorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions too at sotorpodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Until next time, remember the Sith code, Cake is a Lie.